There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast contains explicit language. Hey there, I'm Sam Stein. And I'm Jason Cherkis. And welcome back to Candidate Confessional. All right, so in the summer of 2013, some geniuses at the Sci-Fi Network came out with this movie in which sharks get literally pulled out of water by a tornado, thrown onto land, and essentially terrorize humanity. Sharknados have now been reported all up and down the East Coast. They're everywhere. Is this going to be the big one? Is this going to be one we can't contain? The movie was called Sharknado, and I do think it was inspired by our shark-related weather events vertical. Oh, clearly. I mean, we inspire all cultural phenomenons, although... This is more of a Twitter phenomenon. Yeah, well, oh, sure, fine. It was a phenomenon enough that they decided to do not just a second movie, but a third one. And for that third one, formerly titled Sharknado 3, oh, hell no. Oh, hell no! Great headline. The setting was our nation's capital here in Washington, D.C., which brings us to this version of Candidate Confessional. Wait, we interviewed that guy from Minor 210? Ian Ziering? He ran for something? No. No, this is what happened. So back in March of 2015, the Sharknado crew comes to film at the pedestrian street right in front of the White House. And they have former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman starring in their scene. So we sent Igor down to basically report out what was going on. Because Igor handles the most important stories. The Pulitzer-worthy ones. Damn straight. So, Igor, what happened? So I went down to the White House, and Michelle Bachman was standing there with a film crew, basically playing herself on television, warning the country about this impending crisis, and asking, you know, where is Barack Obama? What is he doing to save us? And so as this is happening, I'm watching Igor's Twitter feed, and I realize I should probably just go down to the White House and ask Michelle Bachman if she'll come on the show. So I wait out the film crew, and then I ask her, and not only does she agree to come on, she says, yeah, well, I got some free time this afternoon. Where's your office? She had a lot to talk about. So the reason I wanted her on the show is that when she ran for president, she was like this surging candidate in Iowa. She won the Iowa straw poll. It's now defunct. And then kind of all faded away. In large part to self-inflicted wounds. Yeah, more or less. Now, along the way, she confronted some of the worst aspects of campaign life. Brutal, terrible schedules. The tough, really bordering on unfair treatment by the press. And sexism. You know, she's not exactly a sympathetic figure, but I think she kind of came across where we can understand where she's coming from. Yeah, by, by the end of it, I actually did feel kind of bad for her. Now, she's no longer in Congress, but during this interview, which lasted about an hour, she reflected on those horror stories. And she told a really interesting story about the infamous Newsweek cover shot. I was just about to leave, and the photographer said, you know, I didn't get my test shot of you. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, I need to have a test shot to send my editor. Beyond the bluster. Behind the bunting. Past the posters. 
after the ads. The campaign picks up. And the motorcade moves on. What happens when the votes are counted? And democracy doesn't go your way. This is Candidate Confessional, a HuffPost podcast. I'm Sam Stun. <laughs> I'm sorry. Actually, I'm Sam Stein. And I'm Jason Cherkis. And we approve this podcast. All you have to do is stay kind of close to the mic and give us your best radio voice. I'll give you the best I have. Okay. A classic Minnesotan radio voice. (laughs) (laughs) The accent everyone wishes they have. I'm sure that that's what it is. By the end of this, I'll probably be speaking just like that. Minnesotan? Pure Minnesotan? Minnesotan? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It really is an acquired taste, I think. Why don't we start at the beginning, uh, which is, at what point do you recall saying, I wanted to run, I want to run for president? Well, uh, it, for, for me, it was uh, really surrounding the Obamacare debate. And I think it was more in the winter months and early spring as I was watching the Republican field uh, come together, I was concerned that we wouldn't have a candidate who was going to have a really strong backbone when it came to what needed to be done with Obamacare. Um, because in my opinion, um, I, I think that the United States has the greatest health care in the world. I'm really proud of our health care system. And I was extremely worried that we're going to lose the high-quality health care that we had, that it would be far more expensive um, under Obamacare, and that people get a lot less in terms of services, and that a lot of people would be told no. And I didn't want to see that happen. So um, I began talking with other members of Congress about running, and I was urging them to run. Nobody was taking the debate, the bait on doing it. <laughs> and um, I, as far as the field was shaping up, I just didn't see that we were going to have a candidate who was going to take the issue on. And this was going to be obviously President Obama's. This was his signature legislation of his first term. And this would be the, the legislation that he would run on for reelection. Uh, I spoke with other candidates. As I said, I, they weren't stepping up to the field. And um, I, all I can tell you is I just had this very strong sense. I've read before where people say you have to have, quote, fire in the belly. Yeah. Well, what I felt was this really strong um, a sense that this was the issue and the issue had to be prosecuted. When you were trying to pitch your colleagues on doing the run, mm-hmm. what were they saying to you? Well, they were flattered, obviously. They considered it. I would continue to hound them about it. Uh, but the response I got is, I, Michelle, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not? not going to do it. Because it's um, it's if you ask any of the men, and it's primarily men who've run for president, if you ask any of the men who have done it, they will tell you that it's the hardest thing they've ever done in their life. It is. It's yeah. a very difficult task to do. And it is increasingly so for a few reasons. One is because the enormous amount of money that needs to be raised, but also because it's a really, a, I believe, um, an element of technology. Technology has changed everything in politics. For instance, when I began running for the House of Representatives back in, I guess I ran in 06. So I started running, obviously, prior to that, 
when you think of the number of people who had smartphones at yeah. that time and the number of people who used them, audio capability, video capability, the immediacy of transmission of knowledge. You're you're a very young person. I'm quite a bit older than you are. And I'm 50. You're 50. You are not. It's a lie. But, yeah. um, okay, so you're 50. <laughs> I don't know what you are. Anyway, um, the, the point being that in my lifetime, yeah. I've seen this dramatic sure. change. And in this technology. was intimidating to your colleagues. I think so. Well, I, I, don't, want, I don't want to speak for them, but sure. to say that, to put to mount an effort like this is not a small task. Yeah. You're not flip when you make a decision like this. It changes the course of your, a person's life. Sure. So how did you? Something must have happened to say, in your in your own internal deliberations, where you said, "Okay, I, I, if they're not going to do it, I'm going to do it." It was really a. I think it was a, a building crescendo okay. for me. And it was. Um, I'm an. I'm a. I'm all about the issue and the cause. Mm-hmm. That's what motivates me. And I was very concerned that if, if Obamacare wasn't repealed and replaced in the 2012 election, that we may never get that chance sure. to to get back to high quality health care. And um, I I had this just the sense of this issue building, and no one was stepping up. And um, I had people talking to me about running and, mm. and urging me to consider doing it. And it was daunting. I mean, I, I took a period of time where I pulled back and really thought about it seriously, if this is something that I wanted to do. And I felt more that the sense that I had wasn't ultimately that I thought that I would necessarily be the president at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. What I thought I could do because of my background um, is to be able to take this issue and put it on a debate stage sure. and bring attention to it. Well, I'm curious about this. Did you ever, at, and we'll, go, we'll we'll return back to the chronology of this, but did you ever at any point in time think that you could be president? Yes, I did, okay. of course. I mean, I think for someone to do this, you have to be able to wake up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm going to run for president of the United States. I, I would ask any of your listeners to do that. Wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say that. I and, do that every morning. <laughs> And you're 50. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I mean, it's it's something to actually do that. But sure. you have to – the thing is – Because you, you were just saying how in some ways this was not necessarily about ending up at the White House so much as elevating the issue of Obamacare for everyone else. That but, was my primary okay. motivation. But you did, in fact, see yourself in the White House. Well, I knew that I could do it. Yep. I knew that I had the, ca- the, yeah. the capacity to do the job. Yeah. I had looked at the president. I had looked at the president's background, what he had done. I knew that I could do the job. So what was your initial path to victory? You're asking me the question about strategy, about state to state. Yeah. That also has changed with technology and the way that, that um, the, the race for the White House is today. Because now messaging isn't necessarily about having to be on a plane being in Manchester, New Hampshire, or in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, or in uh, uh, Hilton Head, uh, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. You can do messaging on a national basis. For instance, when I ran in 2012, uh, we had various candidates, and um, some candidates were were spending the bulk of their time on book tours. Mm -hmm. And they, but yet they could be fairly successful because their message was able to get out. Mm-hmm. And today the media is such that if you have an iPhone, you're part of the national press corps. Yeah. That's all you need. Mm-hmm. And and so the mouthpiece has extended, and it's accessible to someone with very little financial investment. 
Did your advisors actually say to you, you know, you don't have to fly to Manchester. Instead, we want you to spend your time making these online videos that will resonate. Is that No, I I think, you know, on one hand, you want to be innovative. But on the other hand, there's a lot of tried and true formulas that have worked for a long time and still, frankly, do work. Sure, like what? So there are basics. Well, um, uh, like, for instance, that you physically do need to be in different states and you do need to court different individuals within your own party. I'm a Republican, so within the Republican Party, there are different people that I needed to know influence uh, uh, opinion makers. We're within, talking about we're talking about journalists or lawmakers or all of the financial above. people. All of the above, okay. because um, the the cross section of people that you need to know and make acquaintance with and hopefully persuade to your side is enormous. Everything from local committee men to uh, legislative leaders to people in the faith community, people in the business community. How do you keep track of all these people? Do you have someone who whispers into you, like on Veep, someone who whispers into you, this is so-and-so, <laughs> you know him because of this? I mean, honest to God, I can't You know, every candidate is really different. Like, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you one example, um, just in, in debate preparation. Um, I know a number of the other candidates literally had rooms filled with researchers and advisors and all the rest. And one thing that I'm really grateful for, and this is what I tell a lot of young people who who subsequently would come into my office in Congress when they would visit me knowing that I'd run for president of the United States, and they would be you know eager and fresh-faced and say, I want to run for president of the United States too. And so my advice to them would be, then are you spending your lifetime reading? That's what I did. I spent my my lifetime reading and doing. Still to come, we learn what it takes to be a female presidential candidate, something that Jason and I know nothing about. Give us a day in the life on the campaign trail early on for you. Like, what what was your routine? Uh, I would say that, you know, a, a normal wake-up time would be 4, 4.30 in the morning. That's brutal. It's brutal, uh, considering the fact that I probably went to sleep about midnight the okay. night before. That's really brutal. And my normal life is that I like getting eight hours of sleep. I like going to bed. I'm an early, early to bed, <laughs> early to rise person, okay. but you don't have that luxury, or at least I didn't on the campaign so trail. So you wake up at 4? 4, 4 4.30, and then um, it's very different for a girl than it is for a guy because uh, a girl has to go through the whole hair makeup routine. And um, when you're running for president, every single moment that you're erect, (laughs) that you're not in bed, um, you have to to expect that you're going to be photographed or you're going to be miked. And so, um, you know, hair and makeup is just a part of the day and also... um, and how long would that take the, to get the ready clothing. in the morning? I think uh, it, I would probably have to a lot as far as if, if you want to go from soup to nuts, from actually yeah. getting out of bed mm-hmm. until walking out of my hotel room, it'd be an hour. Okay. Because you have to do the shower and, um, you know, the whole hair and makeup routine and getting yeah. dressed. But in the middle of that, I'm usually on the phone. I'm doing interviews. Um, I can't tell you how many times I did interviews and I'd be in the middle of, you know, my hair is getting done or I'm doing the makeup and the mm-hmm. whole thing because the interviews start right away because, you know, you're going West Coast to East Coast. And so whether it's radio producers or TV producers from around the country, you're on the air with them. Mm-hmm. So... Um, the, the entire day is um, media interviews. You can easily do 10 to 15 media interviews a day. Wow. Uh, I, I would give sometimes 10 speeches in a day. Um, then there would be fundraising calls. 
And then it would be strategy meetings. Well, let's keep going. Carole. Might be studying. So, so you're at, we're at 7 a.m. right now, roughly. You've gone, you've gotten your hair and your makeup done. You've done some interviews, assuming you had some I've food. probably been before camera by that point. By that point. By 7 a.m. Have you I've had I've probably food? been before. Well, usually what would happen is the cameras would come to the hotel. Okay. They would set up in a conference room, and I would leave my room and then go down to the conference room, mic up, and maybe do like CBS early morning, ABC early morning, NBC early morning, whatever it is. So do an early morning show. And then from there, it would be – no, no, it wouldn't be – if it was food, food might be in my room. Okay. And I might get to eat um, something out of a styrofoam box. (laughs) And then I'm on my way because the one thing you never can do is eat when you're speaking. No. So there's because usually you're going table to table meeting people before the speech, or you're taking photos with people before the and speech. You don't want to be caught with food. And you, well, you just, you just can't eat because people want your time, they sure. want your attention. That's why they came. And as as a candidate, you want to have time. So with we're them. at we're at like nine a.m. basically, and you've done more <laughs> in your day than I've done in mine. You're going to your first speech. You've maybe. But see, had, you're 50. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I'm, I'm winding down at this point. So you're going to your speech, uh, your first speech of the day. And in between, I'm assuming on the way, you're making calls to influence leaders and fundraisers and such. It's a lot of calls. Um, it depends on if we're um, in the car or if we're on a bus. Okay. We had a campaign bus. Sure. Um, I might be on a campaign bus, for instance, yeah. and there might be supporters on the bus with me. We might be um, – usually we'll be uh, – the, the, my press person would yeah. be with me. We'll be talking about what the next press hit is that we're going to be. It also depends on what the event is. Again, as a girl, it's completely different than as a man – How so with the events? Well, because um, we would have to bring clothing changes – with me. How many clothing changes did you do? Oh, today? I could do four a day. Why? Well, because it's media driven. Uh, if you can't I, be in the same if outfit? I'm at if I'm at an event, say and well, it has to be appropriate to the event. Uh-huh. Let's say I'm doing TV in the morning, yeah. and uh, so it'd just be a typical uh, morning TV hit. So I'm wearing maybe kind of like what I have on. What I'm wearing now is like a, a, a wool business jacket with a silk blouse, a skirt. We call this pumps. we call this Congresswoman Congresswoman chic. clothes. Yeah, yes. Congresswoman clothes. Congresswoman yeah. clothes. So I might wear that for the morning, and then maybe I'll go and give a speech at a business. Maybe that's what the first event is going to be. Okay. But I'll be making phone calls in the car and having meetings in the car. So uh, I'll make a uh, uh, I'll go to a business. Usually meet the owner, uh, talk to the employees, give a speech, uh, then talk to local media. Usually local media, but also national media would be with me. Mm-hmm. And so then I would do a press avail as soon as I finish whatever I'm doing at that particular event. Then from there we break and then get into the vehicle and then go and we might have to go to the airport and then I need to fly to Washington. I need to fly to California. Um, and then we've got to do we've got to do that. So then I have to do a change of clothes uh, before we go um, uh, in in the plane. But the thing is, there's always going to be a point where I'm seeing the public. Like for instance, I'll, I'll tell you one day uh, in South Carolina, it was summertime, and I was uh, on the campaign bus, and we did four I, four major speeches in four different cities that day. And I I gave like hour long speeches outdoors. Oh, so I was outdoors, and I think the, the very first one was uh, Myrtle Beach okay. that day. It was very hot, and uh, we we uh, actually landed on a on a plane. 
We got in the vehicle. We went to where the people were. The people were all set up. It was 1,500 people that came wow. out for the speech. And they were outside, and I gave the speech, and it was just blistering hot and humid. And I was literally just drenched with, with sweat by the time that I was done. We had our campaign bus, so I went into the campaign bus. And remember, it took an hour to get ready. I had to go in and completely take a shower and start over. And so I had to do another hair and makeup and while we were driving to the next city. Yeah. And then, um, so that's another, you know, hour. And then I had to switch outfits. So I, that day I had four different outfits because I was completely drenched because <laughs> it's outside and it's humid with each one. And, and again, you know, your women listeners will appreciate this. You know, with with um, hair and humidity, don't mix. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we I'd have to somehow do my hair so that it would kind of stay, so it wouldn't just flop. Isn't that what hairspray is for, or no? Well, see, that's the whole girl tricks. I mean, I learned a lot of girl tricks during this <laughs> thing. What was, the, and what was the trick? You, what's the trick you've retained? <laughs> oh no, 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 no. That's that's give, real money. You got to no, pay no, real money on. to get give, the give, girl tricks. Give no, us a no, small no. You're one. not getting it out of me. Oh, but but we gave that's you a cappuccino. Come on. That's one thing now. Like. For this upcoming 2016 race, yeah. uh, we have Hillary Clinton, obviously, who's yeah. running. That believe, I mean, it, it it may seem like it's sexist, but I mean, I really do have great empathy for what Mrs. Clinton is going through, yeah. because the the hill that she has to climb on appearance is just a different hill than than men yeah, have to climb. I'm not whining about it. Yeah. It's just it's, it's just reality. It is right. what it is. Do you recall? Um, an instance on the campaign where you thought you were being unfairly, you know, treated? Well, I made a decision when I ran. It was a no whining rule. Okay. I was never, ever, ever under any circumstances going to complain about my media coverage. And I didn't. I mean, if you look back, I never complained about it. Well, I privately, you must have fumed it a few times. Well, I didn't complain because... I mean, um, this publicly, is, yeah. This, this is big boy politics. I'm I, This isn't namby-pamby. I'm, I'm running to be president of the United States. If I can't deal with press coverage, how, can I, how can I be wasn't president Wasn't there an infamous Newsweek cover or something like yeah. that? Yeah. We explain. I forget, I'm kind of forgetting what it was, but what what exactly was the situation? Well, Newsweek wanted to do a cover shot. That's not unusual. Sure. I'd done it for uh, Newsmax magazine. Yeah. I had done a cover shot, and we had a you know lovely story and a cover photo and all the rest. Newsweek wanted to do the same thing, and I said, sure, great. And so we did a photo shoot over by the Willard Hotel, which, uh, for your listeners, it is uh, very near the White House. Yeah. And so we were over at the Willard, and uh, uh, Newsweek set it up, and they had a room, and we did outdoor shots, indoor shots, and they were lovely. And uh, the photographer uh, laid out about maybe, I don't know, five or ten shots and said, what do you think of these? And I said, I think they sound great. I, I don't have the right of approval. Mm-hmm. But I said, yeah, I think any of these look great. And then I was just about to leave, and the photographer said, you know, I didn't get my test shot of you. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, I need to have a test shot to send to my editor. Mm. And uh, I said, okay. so What's a test shot? Do you know? Well, this is what he told me to do. Okay. So he, so there was this closet uh, kind of set up, and it was a like an aluminum ladder. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and it was a really stark blue background, solid blue background, kind of obnoxious blue background. And he said, I want you just to sit on the bottom rung of this ladder, and I'm going to, uh, you know, do this test shot. And I said, it was very uncomfortable because I had to kind of squat down on this ladder. And I said, I don't even know why we're doing this. You've got your shots. And he said, well, I have to have the test shot. So then the photographer 
um, hit a strobe light mm-hmm. and snapped with the strobe light so that my eyes uh, flared open yeah. as as they would in response to a, a huge bright strobe light. And uh, I said, "What was that about?" He said, "That's it's just a test shot. Don't worry. It's you know, it's nothing." I said, "You're not going to use that, are you?" And he said, "Oh no, no, no. This is just something I have to give to my editor." Well, then, as it turned out. Um, none of these lovely shots were used. The only thing they did is the one where I looked like the Bride of Frankenstein <laughs> with my eyes wide open, and that was on the cover. And what was hilarious is... Wait, that, before before we get there, when did you find out that they were going to make it the cover? Well, the, not, not until, not until it, was it came issued. out? Not um, until it was out, yeah. Um, so what was hilarious is I had the same outfit on as Newsmax. Uh, when they did the cover. So you could do a side-by-side and see the one that was just gorgeous, and then you saw this one, which is The Bride of Frankenstein. So anyway, so that that happened, and I'll never forget it. We were out on a stop. We were on the presidential campaign bus, and um, uh, the I think two people said uh, they had these serious look. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST on their face. And they said, you've got to come and sit, you know, at the table. We have something we have to tell you. These are campaign people. These are my campaign people, yeah. And I I sat down thinking, oh my gosh, are we going to get indicted? I mean, what (laughs) happens? It it looked like it was the end of the world. And I said, what's going on? And um, so anyway, they had the copy of Newsweek in front of them and they looked at each other and then they looked at me and and they because they thought I was going to start crying. And so they, they took this magazine and they pushed it in front of me and I said, yeah. And they said, well, Aren't you upset? They said, this is the actual uh, cover of news. This is what it is. And I said, okay. I mean, this, you know. Come on. I don't believe. No, I'm serious. You must have been mad. No, I I, I said, does this shock you? I said, does this shock you? Look look at the work we did. I mean, we set aside the whole day for Newsweek that we were going to do this thing and cooperated with them. I said, isn't this par for the course, you guys? Like, this is going to be a shock that something like this so is going to happen? So then why even sit down for Newsweek? Well, my, my only thing was I had suggested, you know, why don't we put something together where we put the side-by-side cover shots of Newsmax and Newsweek mm-hmm. and then just say, you decide. You know, put that out. And my team didn't want to do that because they said, look, you you made for yourself a no wine rule when it came to media. And if we put that out, it'll look like you're whining. And, you know, I still think it would have been funny to do it, you know, to kind of just it just would have been tweaking Newsweek. But um, anyway, so we chose not to do it. And the media just dealt with it the way they did. Just ahead, Bachman tells us one of her favorite moments from her 2012 run. Which was the debates, where she did pretty well. One person who didn't, Rick Rick Perry. Perry. 
What would you say was the high point of your uh, primary run? I would say one thing that um, surprised me that was so much fun uh, was the very first debate that I did in New Hampshire. I loved that debate. And I know the, the week before, I thought, to, I, I thought, why did I agree to do this? I mean, it, it, the stage doesn't get any bigger other than the nominee versus the president. That, that is the biggest stage. This is the second biggest stage. When you're on a debate stage running for president of the United States, you can't get anything wrong. Everything has to be right. And this was going to be my very first debate. Well, the week before, I, I was thinking, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> I, I could go out there and trip. I could go out there and go blank. I could go out there and who knows what's going to happen. And these are really smart guys that I'm on the stage with, and I'm a woman, and I and I and I thought I I don't want to look ridiculous out there, and um, so I was very concerned about uh, my ability to perform when I was out there, but I I. Um, Usually, I was a former federal tax litigation attorney, and my key to success was to be the best prepared person in the room. Mm -hmm. And that's what I tried to do, to be the best prepared person in the room. And again, my well that I could draw from was a lifetime of reading, studying, and being conversant in the issues. And so I thought, okay, I've, I've at least got that. But it's more than that. You have to know how to be able to be concise and get to the main point within literally 10 to 15 seconds, because there's a grand total of maybe 90 seconds, maybe, to answer a point. So you have to answer the question, make your point, uh, punch the opponent, and get it all done and wrap it up and be memorable and accurate in 90 seconds. You wanted to punch the You went in there saying, I need to throw a few jabs. Oh, I'm an offense person. I I always go on offense, and I have no problem with punching back. I have no problem. So I was very happy to do that part of it. um, So why why was this debate the high point then? Because it it went so well. When did it click that you knew you were doing well? Was it after that? In the first five seconds. In the first five seconds, I felt so at home (laughs) and so relaxed, and I loved it. And I enjoyed doing it. I did, and I I was in 15 different presidential debates. I'm the first woman Republican ever to be yeah. in a presidential debate. That's never happened before. We've never had a woman on the Republican side be in presidential debates. So this was a case of first impression, and I really didn't want to get it wrong yeah. for for women. And um, it went it, it went so well that night. It was um, the, the headlines were fabulous the next day, and we didn't have another debate for two months. <laughs> So what I had going for me is a is a baffle performance <laughs> on the debate stage. So I could kind of ride high and live high uh, off of that and, and live high for two months. When you left the stage that night, we did you like do like uh, one of those jumps where you click your heels? You're so happy. I mean, were you? No, I just felt great. I just felt great. I love I love doing TV. I True. love doing radio. I love doing debate and. Um, so for me, I, I, I was anxious just to do more. I really enjoyed doing debate. If I could have done a debate every day, I would have done it. And, yeah. and, and I, I'm not being arrogant when I, when I say it. I don't mean it in that way. But sure. I really wish I could have been on the debate stage with President Obama yeah. because I would have loved to, to have been able to, to tangle with him, so to speak, in that way, to go on offense with the president. What, what's it like backstage before a debate where you're milling about with 
people who you know you're about to throw rhetorical jabs at. Is it awkward? <laughs> well, you know, I had heard a lot of horror stories about uh, the different candidates' interactions prior to, and I think there had been uh, in you know in, in prior races. Sure. Maybe because I was a woman, there was a little bit of containment, and I think in some <laughs> ways it may have benefited the men. Uh, that there was a woman back there because so? I'm telling you, these guys were all on their very best behavior. <laughs> they were very jovial. Everyone was very nice. Not that they aren't nice. No, no men. trash talking. No trash talking. But you know, there was a there was a lady present, and so everybody really was on their best behavior. So there wasn't any of this like you know men locking horns you know with each other ahead. Were of there time. any mind games though? Like. Uh, yes, a little, but not not much. It really it, it isn't a lot of time that we see each other because there's we each have our own room that we're given with our team ahead of time. So a green room, so to speak. Yeah. Each each campaign gets a de- uh, green room, and uh, so a lot of times spouses are back there in the green room. Um, advisors, campaign managers, a debate coach are all back in the green room. There's food back there. There's drinks back there. Uh, and the candidates are just getting ready. There's not a lot. They're not there for a long time. So you don't know. Certainly less than an hour. Okay. Uh, but candidates are back there, and it's it's a big moment because you rise or fall based on how you do oh, yeah. that night. So there's a lot of tension. Well, that in brings there. me to another question, and I don't I don't want you to speak ill about Governor Perry because a lot's been made about his famous debate oops moment but you're on the stage with him right and this happens the third agency of government yeah. i would i would do away with the education uh the uh <laughs> commerce. I, I, commerce and let's see i can't the third sorry <laughs> oops does your heart sink for him? I mean, how, what do you, what what was your mindset like when you watched it unfold? Uh, well, the, my first thought was, oh no, and my, and my heart did bleed for him. It, yeah. My my heart sunk to my toes because you wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy. Um, he, to be fair to the governor, he had back surgery, yeah. and he was having to deal with painkillers, and um, who knows what happened. Uh, but uh, but I think everyone on no one took um, joy or glee. Yeah. I can tell you that. For a fact, mm-hmm. um, everyone just felt horrible yeah. for him afterwards, and uh, because you, you know it's going to be on Saturday Night Live. I mean that that was part of it. I think you know Saturday Night Live after we would do a debate, then it, then the next question was to see how are they going to portray the debate because you realize that for most of America, they're going to think that the debate was what happened on Saturday Night Live rather than totally. the actual debate, and that's <laughs> actually that is so hilarious and. I always looked forward to and loved watching Saturday Night Live because <laughs> my favorite actress, Kristen Wiig, played me. I know. And I loved her. I loved Kristen Wiig before uh, before she played me, and she did a, just a fabulous job. Did you ever reach so. out to Kristen Wiig? I, no, I didn't. Why not? I didn't. Well, I don't know. She's a big deal. So are you. <laughs> so I asked you about your high moment on the campaign. Got to ask you now the obvious follow-up. What was the low moment? Low moment on the campaign. I think uh, a low moment for me was uh, I went into, I was supposed to give a speech in, I think, maybe Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And I went into the room and there was filled with press and there weren't a lot of people. Did you worry that that sort of, you know, it symbolized a bigger problem with the campaign that you were attracting more? Media? Oh, that's what I was. That was yeah. that's what I was worried about. Is that that things must not be going well because the crowd wasn't what the crowd had been before. The straw poll. Yes. 
Well, it, people are, it's a phenomenon that some people don't quite understand and some people say is overrated. What was your experience with a straw poll like? Well, it is, it is analogous to or greater than a state primary because it is the very wow. first presidential contest. Well, there was a debate within my campaign about whether we should uh, be in it or not, okay. whether we should invest the resources or not. It's extraordinarily expensive. How expensive? Oh, you can be talking well over a million dollars to be involved in the campaign okay. because, you know, it's voter contact. Yeah. But the, the way that a uh, campaign justifies it is that we're doing voter contact and uh, that will build on that for the uh, Iowa caucus that's coming up in January. So you, you, you have this debate in the campaign about whether or not to do it. And ultimately, obviously, you decide, I got to go So we in. did it. Yeah. yeah, we did. I was born in Iowa uh-huh. and I was from Iowa. So I thought, you know, I've got a, an advantage. Let's connect here and let's do it. So, you know, that's my that's and, my decision. And after you decide to go all in, what does that mean in practical terms? It's like all out. You yeah. know, it, it was an all out <laughs> effort. And and we were very successful. Yeah. And again, I mean, it. I, I made history. You know, I was the first woman to be in the first woman Republican to be in the presidential stage for debates on the Republican side. I was the uh, first woman to win the Iowa straw poll. What did the win do for your campaign? Uh, I thought it was very good. I mean, it may be a house. <laughs> it's not a bad day, I'll tell you that much. It's, it's better than losing, day. right? Better, day, better than losing, yeah. What a question. I know. Brilliant. I'm, 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 I, Off the I'm charts. Bring, I'm bringing my but best. But then you're 50. Let me ask you about what it's like to be in the middle of one of these firestorms. A statement you made on vaccinations became that essentially, right? And oh, I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Well, tell us, tell, tell, tell the story about what happened and what transpired after you made the statement. The issue that we were talking about was Governor Perry, um, as a governor, HPV had issued a mandate that all girls, I think it was maybe fifth, sixth grade or something like that, had to take a, a shot of Gardasil. Yeah. And there were um, complications that were being reported from this shot, Gardasil. And the question was, who gets to decide? Would, a, would government get to, uh, to decide that all kids take this particular shot or would parents? I'm not against vaccinations. We have, you know, I have a lot of kids. We had our five biological kids, our yeah. 23 foster kids. And so all of our kids were always vaccinated. But at a certain point, it's enough already. I mean, we're kind of over uh, vaccinating at a certain point with kids too. And ultimately, my opinion is the parents need to make that decision with in conjunction with their doctor. It shouldn't be government telling them what to do. Um, but in this particular case uh, with this drug, we'd had the debate. And then after the whole debate was over, uh, the, you'll, the viewer will see candidates walk to the uh, edge of the stage and then reach down and shake hands with people in the audience. And that's what I was doing. And a woman came up to me and I shook her hand and she thanked me for bringing up the concern about the over-vaccinization and, uh, and what it can mean for kids. She said, my daughter was vaccinated with Gardasil. Mm-hmm. And she said, and my daughter suffered uh, mental retardation as a result of that. And I had more women come up to me and tell me that after my child was vaccinated, my child had um, all of these physical problems that happened. And so anyway, this woman had told me that. Well, so that happened. We went from there. And usually what happens on the presidential is you finish the debate, you um, shake hands with people at the front, 
and then you go out to the TV cameras and, yeah. because there's shows that want you on, and then they interview about the debate. I went out to the TV camera, and I think I was on Greta Van Susteren. The question about the uh, executive order and the vaccine that uh, the executive order that he signed now regrets, but said that 11 and 12 year old girls would have this vaccine. You could opt out, but the discussion was sort of from a Tea Party perspective on whether uh, whether that should have been signed in the first place. So there's a woman who came up crying to me tonight after the debate. She said her daughter was given that vaccine. She told me her daughter suffered mental retardation as a result of that vaccine. There are very dangerous consequences. This wasn't me. I'm not being, I'm not a doctor. I wasn't saying that, you know, this is what happened. What I said is a mom just told me that. Yeah. And when that happened, the way it was construed in the media, it was as though I was saying it. Yes. That I that that, that you believe that I that I believed it. So anyway, that's the way that it was construed. And uh, it, perception is everything. And that's what happened. It became a big deal, right? It became a big deal. Back to the original question. So um, when did you know again that it was that you weren't going to win? Um, I, I could start to feel it, I think, like end of November in December, that we weren't going in the right direction. And especially in December, we had to make a turn and it wasn't turning in our direction. What was so the turn tell- you had to make? The turn is a turn in the polls. It's it's a turn in the mind of the voters and a shift in the mind of the voters. And I think uh, shift from what to what though? Well, well, that's that's what didn't make sense because you know I had clearly won the um, straw poll and things were shifting. And I think part of that was uh, uh, there there was a coalition of I would say primarily Christian conservatives who wanted to come together and get behind a consensus candidate. They wanted a consensus, which makes sense. I understand that. And so I think there was a number of uh, people of influence who got together and made a decision, we're going to get behind a candidate. And when they made that decision, they decided to get behind Rick Santorum, yeah. who, was, who was a great guy. And so that was the decision. It wasn't me. And so I could our campaign could only do so much to reach out. We did everything we could. I sat in coffee shops with, you know, the influence makers and all the rest, but they'd made a decision and that's the way it was going to be. You don't be. think there is, there, there's nothing that you, when you look back, you don't think there's anything you could have done differently to become that consensus candidate? Oh, I'm sure there is, of course. You know, every decision that you make throughout the course of a day, day and maybe you make, um, you know, 125 decisions a day, who knows how many it, it is. Um a different decision could have changed and altered anything. When it became clear that this uh, block of uh, influential Christian voters, Christian conservative voters, was going to go with Santorum, now you're basically, you're left to wait for results that you know are not going to be. No, that isn't true because I I, I wasn't left to wait. What I was, the decision that we made at the very end was to visit all 99 counties in Iowa. You want to talk about a big hill to climb? (laughs) Um, Rick Santorum had gone to all 99 counties over a period of, I don't know, months and months and months. And uh, I, I went to all 99 counties in 10 days. And so do you mean, I like, did by 10... went, do you mean like you put your took your foot off the bus, stepped in there, said, I got one? Or did you actually spend time? No, in... I, I gave a speech. Oh, my God. I gave a speech. I gave... You're waking up I at gave, 3 a.m. I now. gave nine... Uh, we, I, I lived on that bus. Yeah. I lived all over the state of Iowa on that bus, and I went into all 99 counties and gave a speech <clears throat> and went to a gathering and um, went to every county and did interviews and did did the whole deal because I thought... 
this is something that I can do. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll go. I'll I'll reach and touch all the voters I possibly can. And it's the it was the last. It was is the hail mary pass. Yeah. Put it that way. But it it fell to the fell to the ground ultimately. Well, I didn't prevail. Yeah. I certainly didn't prevail. But but I'll tell you this: the night of the primary, um, I was absolutely exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. The caucus. Yeah. Uh, I went to the back of the bus. I was just exhausted. And I, I went back there and, and I thought, you know, if I place third tonight, um, that'll be that'll be good. And I'll stay in and I'll go on to South Carolina and New Hampshire. Um, but if I place any less than third, I'm out. I mean, I just made the independent decision. I didn't ask anybody about it. That was just in my mind. And then I fell asleep. So um, I went to sleep, and uh, then people came. My campaign you team fell asleep came back. before the results came in. Oh yeah, yeah, because yeah, because I'd made up my mind. I was fully at peace with how this thing was going to go. I was totally at peace. So <laughs> I just went to the back, made the decision. I mean, that was my calculation, and I fell asleep. And um, and I don't fall asleep really easy. I you know I'm kind of like either. I mean, I only have two switches on and off. And um, so anyway, the campaign team came back. They woke me up, and uh, they looked like their, you know, their dog had died. I mean, they just looked like their best friend had died. And so I knew it wasn't good, and they told me that the what the results were. I knew it wasn't good. And um, I said, okay, well, uh, then we're going to be done. And they looked at me, and they thought I was going to start crying, just like with a Newsweek article. They all thought I'd cry, and they thought I'd cry when they tell me. And, um, and I was, I was that matter of fact, I said, well, then we're done. You know, we did our best. Everybody did their best, but you know, we need to end this thing because I'm not going to go into deep debt over this. And if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. So we just need to accept it. And, um, so then they were urging me, no, 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 you can go on to South Carolina. You need to do this thing. Uh, my husband came in, you know, everybody kind of came in and, um, and and I said, well, shut the door because it's kind of a little living room back there. And so I said, well, you know, I'll, let's talk it through. So we talked it through, and um, I said, no, I think this is I, I think this is what we need to do. And um, so they said, we want you to sleep on it. And so I I went out and gave a statement because you have to go out and give a statement. So I went out and gave a statement that night with the results, and um, kind of a yay rah rah. We're going to keep going. And then the next morning, then I think after that we came out, I can't remember if it was that night or the next morning, when I said, look, this is it. We're not going to do this thing. Anyway, I know my press people called a press conference that morning, maybe it was 9, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. And then we went out, and then I made my announcement that I was going to pull out of the race. The wonderful, wonderful man who drove our campaign bus. He wanted me to keep going, and he said, "Look, I'll drive you. We'll go. We'll we'll, we'll head right now towards South Carolina." He wanted to drive you. Let's from just go Iowa right to... now. Let's go. Let's do this. I think you can do this. My campaign manager wanted to keep going. You know, I had uh, the whole team. I mean, that that was so sweet. The whole team wanted to keep going. It wasn't like rats bailing from a sinking <laughs> ship. They all wanted to yeah. keep going. And, you know, that to me, that was really a huge blessing. How wonderful. I really appreciate everybody on the team. The bus driver might have just wanted the business. 
Uh, you know, it's really, it's really something though. How you really are glue in a family. Yeah. You're totally glue in a family. You're in a, you're in a very confined um, space. Yeah. You're walking through one of the most intense experiences yeah. that you can ever have in your life. And either you work together, or you don't. And um, I was lucky; I had good people that I could work with. All right, let's end it there. Congresswoman, thank you so much thank for joining. Oh wait, are you going to run again? Uh, not today. No. <laughs> but maybe maybe tomorrow. Not today. Well, does the process dissuade you from ever doing again? Honest to God. No, the, no, no, no. We we have the greatest process in the world. Okay. We really do. It's it's hard. I will tell you again. The men will tell you it's one of the hardest things they've ever done in my in their lives. It's one yeah. of the hardest things I ever did in my life. I was absolutely exhausted. You sleep by the for time like I a got. month straight after. Is that I right? slept for a long time, but see, in my situation, I had to go back to Congress. Congress. So I think I had. I don't know, a week off or two weeks off or something like that. I think we were kind of between something in Congress. So I was able to rest a little bit, but I had to go right back. Plus, uh, the presidential campaign was um, had some debt, so I had to retire that debt. And um, I had to raise—it was election year. So I had to raise millions of dollars to run for re-election yeah, yeah. for Congress. So it was, it was tough in that I had just come off this intense experience— and I had to go right back and continue to serve the people of the 6th District of Minnesota. For the record, mm-hmm. when I asked you if you'd run again, you playfully ignored the question. So there's always that. <laughs> I said not today. That doesn't mean not tomorrow. <laughs> but hey, I didn't know I was going to be with you today. So, I know. You know, days you never know. Be- days turn out better than you expect yeah. all the time. Anyways, thank but you so my much. Wor- my whole world is in politics. So, you know, it's not like I live and breathe to be president of the United States. It's really about the issue. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Michelle Bachman, former congresswoman from the great state of Minnesota and former Republican presidential candidate in the year 2012. Thank you so much to her for joining us. Thanks to Christine Canetta for editing this podcast. And thank you, the listener, for listening. Please spread word of this podcast's existence. You can find us at iTunes or you can look us up at thehuffingtonpost.com. Please tune in to Candidate Confessional next week when we talk to Stu Stevens, the man who geared Mitt Romney's 2012 campaign. As always, happy trails. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.